Podcast. Glad you're here, as always. And we have another awesome episode today. We are going to talk to uh, Marcus Cusick, who's an awesome guy, entrepreneur, and really just a hard charger, self-starter. So I know you guys are going to like this episode. But before we get into it, we have to talk about our sponsors. As always, Madu's Nation. So please uh, go to madusnation.com. They were gracious enough to sponsor us for this season. So please check them out. Buy some clothes. You know you can use some. You know you can use some more shirts. You can use some more clothing. Whatever they're selling, you can use it. I promise you. So please uh, go to modernsnation.com and use our promo code, nothing owed for a special discount. And as always, I'd like to talk about some of our other uh, companies and people that have helped us out and that deserve your support. So as always, uh, Forest Flags has been a great supporter of the show, and he has his new company, Line 613. So please check out Forest Flags and Line 613. He's doing some awesome stuff. He's always adding new products. And Forrest, again, is another great guy. He's uh, proud to be part of the, uh, the Nothing Oat team. He's helped us out a lot on the back end, and he's definitely trying to uh, live up to the, the motto of the show, Nothing Oat. He's always pushing forward, always trying to, to do better. And most importantly, he's a Marine. So, as always, Marines get top bill on this show. <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, but seriously, Forrest Flags, check him out. And then also, uh, Grind Ops Coffee, please uh, check out Aaron Meza. He's doing awesome work getting his coffee company off the ground. Most importantly, with his coffee, he's not just rebagging coffee. He actually is selecting grinds, selecting the roasts. He's actually designing the coffee to taste the way that he wants. You know, if you're not aware, a lot of coffee, coffee companies out there, they just buy coffee from wholesaler and slap their sticker on a bag and then ship it out to you. That's fine, but it's no different than anyone else's coffee. But with Aaron Meza and Grind Ops Coffee, he is actually designing the roast. He's picking the flavors, so you're getting a really awesome bag of coffee that isn't just uh, some off-the-shelf coffee coffee from a wholesaler. And lastly, as always, I like to talk about Winfield Watch. Uh, they've been also a great supporter of the show. And, you know, whatever holiday is coming up, please buy yourself a watch. Buy your family a watch. That Winfield watches are, are really awesome. I think they're, they're really underrated. They're super durable. They fit really well. And Mark has been an awesome guy. Great customer service. So please, uh, please check him out, winfieldwatch.com. Like I said, I'm a customer. I was a customer of his long before we started the show. And so once I got the show up and running, Mark was one of uh, the first guys willing to come on. But uh, at the same time, I wouldn't have asked him if I didn't believe in the product and believe in the service he provides. Because uh, he, while I was buying my watch, we had a good conversation just back and forth. And, and Mark is that guy that's going to give you that time. He's going to give you that service. And he's not, again... He's not just buying a watch from a wholesaler and shipping it out to you. you know, he actually is designing the watch. He is actually he has a lot of input on the watch that you get. You know, it's not uh, it's not your generic watch. You know, it's a watch that he designed. It's a watch that he has some input in assembling. So please, uh, please check out Mark Miller and Winfield Watch. So with that being said, please enjoy the show. This is a good one. I know you're going to like it. Uh, also, please check out our website, nothingo.com. We have links to the shows, we have links to our resources, and links to anything else that you might be uh, looking for. So thanks guys, hope you enjoy it, and we will uh, talk to you soon. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Nothing Old Podcast. Uh, as always, we're back with another amazing guest. Uh, I know he's he's going to be really inspiring, uh, he's, he's done a lot. So this is another great episode, uh, a little different um, than some of the other ones, because we're going to focus mainly on business and how to start a business in this, this episode, but uh, still 
awesome show. I, I, I know we're, you're going to enjoy it. So uh, before I turn it over to Marcus, I always like to say hi to Ben, check in with him, see what's new. So Ben, how you doing? What's new? Good. Been crazy this week. It's been a, a weird week with uh, what's going on overseas and with uh, our son uh, in the army. So been keeping an eye on the uh, world stage, but uh, Marcus, Marcus will be a good guest. He's got some insight for our listeners that, um, you know, he started a business with from scratch, uh, zero debt. Um, I wouldn't say he's zero debt, but he did it without taking on a huge business loan and, and really, you know, pulled his bootstraps up and built a business that's thriving today. I, I would bet, I mean, he'll have to tell us, but I think it's been over a decade now. Um, thriving business. Uh, I've known Marcus for about 20 years now. Uh, and, you know, he's the guy that'll give you his shirt off his back and, and, you know, it's just an inspiration to anybody that really wants to start, go out there and start a business. So, um, and you're right. He has some very, very interesting college stories from his fraternity days. So <laughs> we're going to make him tell those. We, we can't just talk about business. So. Exactly. So I think uh, with that being said, Marcus, I'm going to turn it over to you. Let's, uh, if you don't mind, kind of give us a brief uh, introduction where he came from, uh, you know, where he grew up, stuff like that, the basics, and then uh, we'll get into uh, your story. Yeah, no, appreciate it, guys. Uh, yeah, Ben and I go go way back. When you say 20 years, it's still, I mean, it, it, that's the thing that like old guys say. And so I'm always surprised when I say it or when I hear you say it, but it, it really has. It was 2002. I think it's been 19 then, right? Yeah, 19 two, years. Two, two, 2002. Um, when, when we first met and that, uh, that goes by quick, we've been through a lot, uh, together and been, been friends ever since. So yeah, I appreciate you having me on. Um, yeah, just a little bit about me, I guess. So yeah, I was uh, born and raised in, uh, Salt Lake city area and, um, I really loved that great experience kind of growing up there, but, uh, went to college in Cedar city after high school and, um, another great experience. I guess we're going to touch on that. And, um, <laughs> of course, towards, we just, uh, we just interviewed a guy, uh, a couple of weeks ago, episode, the drunken butcher. He, uh, he's from back East and he, for, you know, he got out to Cedar city for some work opportunities and just absolutely loves it. And I, and I know, I mean, anytime you talk about Cedar city, that's where you met your wife and, yeah. um, but, but Cedar city, for those of you that don't know is a hidden gem. Um, in between northern and southern Utah, it's kind of on the I-15 corridor going up, but it's a, you can get to skiing, you can get outdoors, you can do all kinds yeah. of things. A little college town, it's a great place. So I know you loved it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Southern Utah is awesome. Um, and Cedar City, a great little college there. It's only got about 9,000 students. Um, I think today it was more like 7,000 when I was there 20 years ago, but uh yeah. So met my wife there, you know, like you said, uh, she's from California. We met there and I stumbled into the insurance business and it's been the only, only job I've had since I finished college um, or the only career really that I've done, which is I think kind of unique. I've only had two, the two jobs. One, I worked for a, a big agency and then starting my own. Um, but I've had the same, I've done the same thing um, since I was 22 years old. So a little bit strange. Did you have it? Did you have any plans to go into the insurance business when you went to college? Is that no, no. I, that's a big industry joke that like um, 
you know, no one gets into the insurance business on purpose. And it's, it's surprisingly true. It's, it's a joke because it's so true of so many people, but, um, no, fell into that completely by accident. Um, and as most people do, but they sort of realize it's such a big industry that, and although it sounds very uninteresting at first blush because of how we perceive it as something we have to buy and, um, a necessary item to spend money on that, um, it's such a big cost for everyone, businesses and and families. But uh, no, totally got into it on accident. So the college where you were going to college, um, Southern Utah University, had an internship, correct for the um, for a big uh, national broker that you ended up right. starting your career with. Um, right. So you, you you volunteered for kind of just a part time thing, yeah. right, and then ended up yeah, only- doing well at it, and yeah. They, um, it was sort of odd. They, they posted, um, you know, they're, they're doing this internship. And the part that I read was, you know, something to go on my resume. I was a finance major. So I was sure I was going to do, you know, something, just something big in finance or the stock market one way or another. And, um, but what, what attracted me to it was an internship. It was, it was just before my last year of school. Um, and you know, part-time job will work around your schedule and you can get college credit. And I was like, Oh, this is great. So I took it home and looked at it and I said, but I told my wife, I told my now wife, I said, don't, don't worry. I I have no interest in actually doing this as a career. I just need to get an internship on my resume. So I actually applied just like the last day, dropped it in. And then I didn't hear back. Um, you know, time went by, I didn't hear back. And so I sort of was disappointed. I thought they didn't, they weren't interested in me. So I followed up and they said, Oh yeah, we just haven't got around to it yet. We're definitely interested. Um, they gave me a, like a personality profile test, which I thought was strange. And they said, you're, you know, you're in. So I showed up there and there was 10 of us or so. And, uh, for the whole school year, my, my senior year, we learned in depth about insurance and insurance coverage. And, um, the first half, but yeah, I, I was certain when I interviewed for the internship, they said, well, we're an insurance agency, an insurance broker, which is a sales organization. And I was just sitting across the table, just thinking, no, no way. This is not what I went to college for. I'm not interested, but we learned the insurance coverage. I got to meet cool people. I worked in an, I worked in an actual uh, insurance wholesale operation in there. And uh, halfway through the school year, I graduated 2002, the tech bubble sort of burst. It was, it was kind of a downer on the economy and jobs. And um, so I started to look more closely at these jobs that they were going to offer me. And it was all to do one thing, go out and be a insurance broker um, for businesses, basically. And so by the time school was about over, my buddies were all looking for jobs and there weren't quite so many as they expected to be around. And I had these three different insurance agencies um, in different parts of the country who said, yeah, you know, come on down and we got a job for you. And as I interviewed with them um, and talked about the lifestyle and the income and the, the opportunity in, in sales, knowing by then that I, I may sort of be, um, you know, that like personality wise, I might be a fit for sales. Um, I like the freedom of it and started to decide just, you know, months before I finished college that this is actually something I really might want to do. And here we are. <laughs> so when you say insurance, I mean, what exactly were you insuring? Like, what, what did yeah. You yeah. So we do, you know, an insurance agency, independent agency um, can do home and auto. Okay. That's what a lot of people would know them as doing, but that's not what, what I do. They can also do commercial. So all I've ever done really is commercial. 
um, which is insurance for business. And so a business will buy general liability insurance. That's um, very common. Workers' compensation, a lot of people have heard of, property insurance, and malpractice insurance. So um, business auto, I'm not sure if I mentioned business auto. But yeah, those those are kind of standard coverages that most businesses have and buy. And it's a, you know, it can be a, a, a decent size expense uh, for a business too. Interesting. So when you took that internship, was that before or after the the quad incident? <laughs> which uh, which incident was the quad incident? What? You'll have to refresh <laughs> my memory. Oh, the running of the hogs. Yeah, yeah. yeah running of the hogs. So explain, oh, yeah. explain to the listeners what running of the hogs. This is my we're favorite going, Marcus story. We're going right there. We're just going right We're going to go right, right there because we're right going to leave college here in a minute, right? Let's get it, yeah, we'll get it out of the way. Oh, yeah, I was trying to leave college so you wouldn't have a chance to ask about it. Yeah, I was. A, I, I am a Sigma Chi. It was a, the fraternity there on campus that I joined. It's you know a very old fraternity. It's st- throughout the country still. Um, been around since 1855, and um, I uh, it was a great. That was an incredible experience. I loved every minute of it. So they had a tradition. Um, it was called Running of the Hogs. Everybody sort of knew about it, and I, I believe they had done it. You know, basically every year. And we were the year that ruined it for everyone. So after we did it, um, after the year I did it, they never did it again. It was too much heat. But um, what it is, is uh, basically it's a surprise to some of the people that are in the room, but to everyone else, they know it's coming. And um, it's night and we're wrapping up a meeting and they just say it's time to do it. And we explain to everyone what's happening. And then the campus is just a square you know, like a little nice little square campus, but they would streak from one end to the other on skateboards and bikes. Some people just wearing shoes, anything you can imagine. That's what people are wearing. And um, so we bust out of the house and just, you know, 30 dudes running naked through the campus. It's, it's nighttime. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's nighttime. It's not, you know, you don't see a lot going on, but what happened this time was strange is all of a sudden, you know, we're halfway through and two campus police officers just pop right in front of us as though they knew we were coming there. Turns out one of the, we believe some of the sororities tipped them off and um, they just start, I, I think they were trying to arrest everyone or sort of grab everyone. I don't know what they were doing, but everybody just scrambles into bushes and running backwards and spreading out all over the place, running out to the street, which there's no streets in the middle of the campus. So everyone scrambles and people start leaving the fraternity house in cars to pick up naked dudes. <laughs> and um, get everybody back into the to the house. So the next day in the school paper, they said it was a little cartoon. It said, oh, fraternities, you know, it's all about tradition and all these other great things. Or no, it, it, they said what fraternities is about, the, the friendship, the networking, the experiences. And then at the bottom it says, and then there's the traditions. And there's a cartoon of a couple guys running naked across <laughs> campus. So the campus president came to us and said, yeah, that's the last time you guys are going to do that. We can't let it go on anymore. <laughs> I can't even, all I can think about is like these two country bumpkin part-time security guards trying to like yeah, rass, that's what it was. rassle a bunch yeah. of naked dudes on skateboards. Like, Yeah, that's all it was. It was just a couple of campus police and they they weren't trying that hard. They were more just like turning lights on us. They were probably laughing to themselves, honestly. They probably were, for, they probably fraternity members. From, yeah. Yeah, from, I mean, yeah. From days before. Oh um, man, that's the best. Good. Maybe they were trying to put their hands on a naked guy. Yeah, right? Right. Uh, Just point the lights at him. Go home. (laughs) I love it. 
that's a bummer that the sorority ruined it. I'm surprised that, uh, yeah, that was a rumor, but I, I think that is, yeah, you, they, you know, they should, they shouldn't be the ones to tattle on us. But I think uh, that was what I remember hearing. It's been, you know, it's been a long time, but yeah, that's what I remember well, hearing. I think the only fair solution there would have been for them to reciprocate. If they were so offended, right. then they should have done the right. same thing just to get revenge, <laughs> you know, but uh, what do I know? Were you, were you dating <laughs> Heidi at the time? No, no, uh, no, I don't even think I had met her. This was like my, it had to have been my freshman year at college. This was my freshman uh, year. No, I was going to say, because I met her. You're Heidi, you're, Marcus's wife's name is Heidi. She's she's like the most like conservative, just like shy person I can imagine. <laughs> like she, if you got caught running naked through something, she would just be like, "Oh my gosh, this dude, yeah, yeah. this easily dude. embarrassed, yeah. yeah. What are you doing? For sure." So, so when you were at the internship, I forgot about that. That that yeah. the group. So the group he was a part of. Um, probably at the time, probably had 70 or 80 agencies, mostly Western United States. Um, what, what areas do they, you said they offered you three jobs. Yeah. So it was, so, so it was Vegas office and then where else? Yeah. Yeah. And the Vegas, the Vegas one was, they were sort of reluctant, um, to do it, but Vegas, Santa Rosa, California, which is beautiful up above San Francisco. I flew up there by myself and did the interview and then Portland, Oregon, um, or just oh, outside wow. of Portland, Oregon. Yeah. And I actually really like both of those. We were going to go to Portland for a little while. That was what we think we thought we were going to do. And then, you know, my wife being from California and me from Salt Lake City, Vegas kind of landed in between. And honestly, we didn't, we were ignorant about Las Vegas, right? Like a lot of people are unaware. A lot of people from out of town um, are sort of unaware as we were that, you know, it's a, it's a large community and that it's a real community and that you can, have a very uh, nice and normal lifestyle here and not live in a casino. So once we got down here and looked around and we, it, it became really clear that this is where we wanted to be. I'm glad you said that. Cause yeah, a lot of people that don't come, come here to visit people or don't live, I've never lived here. They don't realize that, um, that they yeah, that there are communities that, you know, I mean, when was the last time we were, we were near the strip, you know, if you're not going to right. a night's game or to a dinner, we don't go down right. there. You know, we got grocery stores, we've got, you know, gas stations, schools, yeah, you know. dinner, dinner and concerts. So that's about it. Although we were, I was on vacation recently with my wife. We were in a uh, hot tub at a hotel in La Jolla near, near San Diego. And they were sitting there with a couple and they started talking to us and told them we were from Vegas. And she asked, Oh, how do you like living there? And I said, it's great. You know, we live in the Caesars palace. Um, we have for a very long time. <laughs> completely believe me just a hundred percent that that's no. I, said, I said yeah i said she's like really that's in, you live there and i said yeah that, that actually caesar's only has um you know people who live there full-time re residential and with, with our kids and everything and uh after for a couple minutes after i was sure she definitely believed me i said no i just i play on that a little bit because sometimes people <laughs> that haven't been to vegas or from far away actually believe that but that is no, awesome that's like, awesome we live, in, we live in the suburbs basically yeah. Yeah. So once you decided, uh, once you decided to go to Vegas, you guys graduate and then you head straight down there. Yeah. Yeah. Came down. Um, Heidi's, my wife's parents helped us unload our U-Haul on a Friday or it must've been a Saturday. Friday was graduation or Saturday was graduation. Sunday we moved, whatever it was the weekend we graduated. We also moved down here and then Monday morning I showed up at work for the first day. So I didn't even, oh, dude, that's straight. That's exactly what happened to me when, uh, I, I ended up be, 
the listeners know I was in the insurance business as well. I worked at the same firm. Um, But that's, I left Fort Hood, Texas, like on a Friday night, drove straight through to, to Las Vegas, you know, put on a shirt and tie on Monday and started working. Yeah. I'm here. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that says something about, I think that says something about, I I had no interest in sitting around. I was ready to be done with college and, and start, start the job I was here to do. So that's exactly what I did. And I, I think, uh, yeah, I, I could imagine you doing the same. Yeah. So for those people that aren't familiar with the commercial insurance business, you basically are selling like Marcus talked about, you're basically selling the, the required uh, insurance as well as some other coverages to protect people's businesses. You know, you, you, other people start a business and commercial agents sell them the insurance to protect that business. Just like what you buy, to protect your home or your car. Um, you know, that's what Marcus does. And so I can speak from experience as well. You show up and a lot of places like this, they go, here's the phone book. For those of you that don't know what a phone book is before we had it, we had everything on Google. There was, uh, there was this book that had, you know, businesses alpha alphabetized by category, you know, and they, they basically go, okay, Hey, Marcus, you're very interested in insuring attorneys. Well, here's the attorneys part of Here the phone are. book. Start at the A's and uh, <laughs> yeah. you get going. So um, how long, uh, I know you hit the ground running. I was there with you, um, yeah. but how, how long did it take for you to write your first million dollar producer award first year or second year? Uh, when did I get the first one? Yeah, that would be like a million dollars of premium. Um, I definitely do it. That didn't do it the first year because I would. I started in May, would have ended in you know, say at a half year. But maybe in my first full year, I, maybe I did. I don't remember. I don't remember now if I did it that first year. But the economy was booming. Um, I did, and you did as well. Get those awards early on and often, right then. So maybe I did. That would have been like two thousand three. So my my, I may have yeah. But yeah, yeah, oh three, yeah, oh four, so, something like that. Yeah, good explanation of what we do for sure. And um, yeah, the phone book was that you got your yellow pages and your white pages and sit down and start start reaching out to businesses to tell them what we do and how we do it. That was the that was the marketing plan for sure. And so yeah, Ben and I were at the same agency within a short period of time, we we're at the same agency for you know seven, eight, nine years. And then we both sort of split off from there. Um, and that's when I started my agency, Ben moved on to start an agency and, um, you know, I've, that's where I've been all along. Um, and it's been 10 years and in May it was 10 years. If you believe that. I do. Yeah, I actually do. Yeah, time, time is things have happened, but what, what I'm getting at too, is I, I think it's crazy. The, the tools that people have today to, to start a business, to market, Um, you know, this is, you know, you and I started in that industry before social media, we started, you know, that we barely had emails. I mean, we had like, like just, you know, janky emails, MapQuest, you had to print out, you had to go to a website. Oh, you gotta go, you gotta go to this construction company. So you had to go to a website, plug the thing (laughs) in and then follow the paper. You had to print out the instructions, you know, we didn't even have, we didn't have, I think, you know, we didn't get blackberries until. Yeah. I didn't have a cell phone. 
I, yeah. I, I, I got a cell phone right when I came here, which probably is really date could really be dating us, but I didn't have a cell phone until I arrived here and decided I needed one for business. Got a little Nokia phone, you know, no email or text on there, but you're able to be out with a, and I thought it was so cool phone in the office, computer in the office. I wish I would have kept better notes about like what technology I use, what tools I used and when, cause I think even looking back, 10 years ago, but really for sure, 15, 20 years ago, you'd be blown away what, what you spent your day doing and using in terms of technology. So yeah, we were but, still faxing stuff, you know, people don't, yeah, a lot, of, a lot sure. of kids don't even know what a fax machine is, but sure. the, <laughs> my point is, is that today, you know, if somebody's out there listening and you're going, you know, Hey, I wouldn't mind starting a business not that it's right. easy. It's not that it's easier, but the tools and Brian, Brian, this is Brian's thing. The tools that we have in our phone, just in our phone, the access Incredible. we have in the tools that we have to be able to market, create a business. I mean, you can literally create your LLC documents, start a website, create a website, call everybody you want to call, you know, create emails, everything you want to do just at the, in your hands, fingertips. Yeah. You know, you know, it's funny though. I was as you were saying that. I wonder. Do you, it almost seems like we're overwhelmed for choice. You know, because back what you're describing, you just opened the phone book and you just made cold calls. It almost yeah. seems like in some ways it was easier because that was that was all you had, right? Like that was your only option. Like you just open the phone book and start calling. There you go. Right. That's, right. That's your chore for the day. But now it's like, well, do I, you know, send out emails? Do I create a website? Like I wonder. It, it almost seems like it's a curse in a way. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's different. It's, it's different for sure. I, I don't know. There was probably a simplicity to it at the time. And, and, um, you know, we were less distracted for sure. Things were, things were had, somewhat slower. Yeah. You had sure. to stay more focused. I think, you know, right. with all the distractions and different avenues, you know, the LinkedIn's and other things. I, I mean, I literally remember sitting in the office and Marcus and I would, we would talk about how we were marketing and we would have like a, a literally like a folder We'd mail a letter, photocopy the letter, mail it out to 50 prospects. And then four days later, like we'd mail letters on Monday. And then like on Thursday, you went into your folder and you started at the first letter and you called them. And then you moved that letter over to the right hand side. I mean, it was so archaic compared to spreadsheets and all the stuff that you can do nowadays. But I, you know, Brian, you're right. I mean, we talk about all the time that the technology, while it's, it's a great gift. It also is somewhat of a double-edged sword, right? Always. Cause I, yeah. Cause that's, I'll tell you, like, that's the challenge I face is that, uh, you know, I, I love podcasts. I love information, but I, I feel myself getting overwhelmed for choice. You know, it's right. like, it, you know, somebody, I, I can't take credit for it, but someone said drink it from a fire hose. And it's, it's really true. It's right. like, you know, I have to keep telling myself for all the things that I want to do, I just have to do it. Right. I just have to, yeah. to put the distractions aside and just pick one thing and do it. But in 2021, it's like, hey, there's LinkedIn today. Hey, there's Twitter today. Hey, you've got this tomorrow. Like, it's, I wonder, I mean, obviously, people have made a lot of money. Obviously, it's helped a lot of people grow their business. There's no doubt. But I almost wonder if it's, well, I don't want to say that. It seems counterproductive if you let it get out of control. 
I think, no, I think you're, I think you're right. What, what happens is we get um, very distracted. And so it's, a, you know, like anything else, it, there, it creates huge convenience for us, but it also yeah. creates chaos, right? It creates, it's so incredibly convenient to do things and we marvel at that, but it's also const, constantly yeah. distracted when there's so much chaos. Like even myself, um, I've really focused the last year. I felt that same thing, Brian. I really focused this last year in planning my day, which I've never really done. I, I sort of would roughly plan a week and my days would be like, you know, kind of the same sort of schedule, but I've had to really get down and plan my day to say, these are the things I got to accomplish today. And I think the reason that, and I see that everywhere, a lot of, a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of business owners doing the same thing. I think it is that they need to say, I have got to cut out some of these distractions and all those distractions though, the, the root of them, I think you're right, is convenience. Like it's so convenient to do all these things, but it can also be a double-edged sword in terms of how distracting everything is. That's interesting. I had a meeting today um, at the screen print shop and it, we kind of talked about that where, you know, we've got a million tools, but, and, and I did this in the insurance industry too, when I was part of a big firm where you kind of get distracted and then you, you're, you're looking at your numbers and stuff and you're going, okay, we're, we're working on this website. We're creating a TikTok, We're doing this marketing, <laughs> whatever. And then, but what do we do that makes us money? And, right. I, you know, I think every quarter or whatever the time period is, but every, you know, certain amount of time period, you got to take a step back, take a deep breath and go. And for Marcus, it's I make money when I sell an insurance policy. So what right. do I do? How do I do that the best? Right. How do I, you know, whatever that is, because what you and I sell differently, Brian sells differently. Right. But however it is that you sell and who you sell to identify that and get back to the core competency when you're, you know, that's, that's just some advice for me out there for anybody running any business, take a step back, take a deep breath and focus on your core competency that makes you money, you know? Yeah. And yeah. You really, you really got to mark down what, what's going to actually move the needle for you and weekly and daily say, these are the things I need to do. And you'll find yourself doing everything else. And sometimes it's hard to even give those things attention when you've just said that morning, these are the things I most need to do. Yeah. And I think that's almost, that's valuable too in your personal life. Cause I, I think just, even if you're not running a business, I think just people get overwhelmed by choice sure. in their own life. You know, you can watch Netflix and Hulu and you have music streaming from 10 different services. And, you know, it's like, yeah. I think, I think mental health is a big issue, you know, currently. And it's, I mean, this is off topic a little bit, but my point is, you know, whether it's a business or your personal life, I think you can sit down one day and focus on, you know, what am I doing during the day? And is it, is it helping me? Is it, is it helping right. my goal of improving my life? You know, is it making my life easier or am I just, is it busy work that's making me feel like I'm busy, but actually not producing anything? And I Absolutely. think a lot of people get caught in that trap of they're busy, but they're not actually accomplishing anything. You know, and your point earlier about your business, I think that's a good point too. It's whether it's your personal life or, you know, a business work backwards, you know, where do you yeah. want to end up? If your if your goal is to make a sale, okay, fine. Write down on a piece of paper, made the sale and work backwards. What's the step before that sale closes that I need to do? And then just keep going backwards. And I, I, that's something I struggle with. So that's the reason I'm, I'm bringing it up, but you know, there it's, the tools are great, but it's easy to get drowned in the convenience. <laughs> yeah. yeah 100%. Absolutely. That's yeah. a good segue into, to where we're going next. And, you know, I, 
this is kind of a touchy subject for Marcus, so I want to ease into it. But so Marcus, Marcus was very successful uh, at the the national brokerage house that he worked at. Um, they made him a minority partner, um, and then for multiple reasons, which I'll let you kind of elaborate on, it, it was messing with your mental health. And you made a decision to go away from that. So to take us into that, yeah. talk about that a little bit. I know that was a huge decision for you and your family. So yeah, for sure. So yeah, so we were there at, at this um, this agency for nine years, almost exactly. And uh, towards the end, I just um, I, I wasn't happy. It was just um, you know I, I don't know if it's mental health, but I was definitely unhappy in my career. I was definitely unhappy where I was going. And, and by the time I left, right up until I left, um, I was sure I didn't want to be in insurance anymore. I thought part of the problem has got to be that I just don't want to do this anymore. I'm not interested in the job. I'm not interested in the career. Um, but yeah, I just, uh, sort of became unhappy there and, and wanted to leave mostly just because I didn't feel like that there was opportunity, um, you know, an equal opportunity for everyone based on the value they brought to the business. And when that became clear, I knew I needed to look out, look elsewhere. And so I, um, you know, you only really have a couple options. I had a non-compete agreement, uh, non-solicitation agreement, which means the relationships I've built, which are with people, right? My clients are business owners and business managers, and I've built relationships with them. They've bought from me and they've been long-term clients at this time. Many of them could have been clients for a decade and um, decided I was unhappy, started to look out the door and, um, didn't want to go out on my own. I mean, I wanted to be on my own, but I, I didn't want the risk. I had uh, three young kids at home. I think my, um, third son, my third was two years old at the time. And if I have an non-compete, it says, you know, you can't solicit these relationships, these business owners you've worked with. And these are very common in not just our industry in, in any industry. And I've, I've given people, I've given a lot of advice to people about signing them before they sign them. And I've, you know, encouraged business owners to think twice about what they say and, and, and that they should really consider how restrictive they should be with those. But yeah, I became unhappy. Um, and the risk would be that if I leave, I have essentially little to no income and I'm starting from scratch. And it wasn't really, wasn't really feasible for my wife to work because we had the two-year-old at home at the time. Um, and so, you know, we prefer to find some sort of a partnership, some sort of a place where I would have a, everybody would have sort of an equal and equitable opportunity um, in terms of ownership and having a voice and having control over where things go in the future. But I had a couple of those conversations and one of them is actually what led to me leaving because I spoke to these um, three guys. There's actually two at the time spoke to them about joining them and could they, make it very clear and even that we all just have a very equitable agreement, you know, based on what we bring in and the value we add, that's, that's how we own and are compensated in the business. Got close to an agreement with them. And one of them, uh, actually it wasn't, it wasn't one of the owners, but um, one of them actually called my, who was at the time, my current boss and business partner and just either just to tell on me or maybe just to ask, ostensibly it was to ask about me, like I, like I had been applying for a job, which wasn't what was happening at all. So the cat was out of the bag and I was unhappy. And, um, my boss slash partner at the time came in and said, well, this is awkward for me and it's going to be awkward for you, but I guess you're interested in leaving. And 
I uh, admitted that I was, and very quickly from there I was gone. And and uh, I knew the only thing I was going to do from the moment I told him I was done, I wrote a letter that said I resigned, and I was going to go with no income, no paycheck, no clients, and start an insurance agency um, down the street, which my agreement allows me to start an agency down the street. I just can't solicit the, the clients of the agency and in more particular, my clients, my relationships that I brought there over the years. Is that, and that's pretty common in, um, in, mo in those industry, in insurance, the non-competitum, is that oh, yeah. pretty standard? Yeah, very common in any industry you can imagine. I mean, they're just about all of them have them um, in the insurance industry. It's very common. I feel like there's a trend towards making them more lenient and more um, open and, and less restrictive. But, and that's something I've pushed for um, at the state level. I've been involved with the independent insurance agents and I've tried to advocate for that there. Um, and to, you know, any of my peers and colleagues, you know, insurance agency owners or any business owner um, based on the experience I had of being on both sides of those, but yeah, you can be selling faucets um, in Des Moines, Iowa, and have a similar non-compete, non-solicitation that prevents you from at least going out and in some ways starting a business. So I mean, that, so that was a huge risk. So how long, how long, how long was it from the time you decided you wanted to leave until you actually left? Yeah, I slowly grew unhappy probably over the course of months, uh, quite a few months, kind of told Ben I was unhappy. And then like within a few months, Ben was gone. I was like, oh, well, I thought I was just thinking of, we were just talking about it and he, he's out of there. And so I, I was a little more, um, I, I dragged my feet a little bit more trying to land on something that would be ideal, but eventually I had to go too. but yeah, I was unhappy, a little bit unhappy for a while, um, with the way with not having a voice or a say or any real input on what we did or how we did it. But, um, once, uh, the cow was out of the bag, I said, yeah, I'm just going to go. And because I didn't have anything else lined up, I just knew um, that that's what I was going to do. And from that day, you know, I mentioned, didn't know if I liked the business anymore or if I liked the career. As soon as I decided I was gone, I started to think about what I could really do growing a business and what I wanted from my insurance agency. Um, I realized that it wasn't, it wasn't the career at all. The business is great. Um, the career is great. I've enjoyed it ever since, even, even though it was really tough to begin with. It was just that I was in an unhappy situation. And it tells you that when you're in those situations, you don't, you don't really know your perception. I've learned this, um, your perception of what's, what's bad and, and what you don't like and what's really bothering you, um, you know, it can be off. And, and in a day, it can change. So looking back, my perception was way off of what I thought was making me way unhappy. And so it wasn't, it wasn't the insurance industry or the job itself. It was just the... Uh that particular company, that environment that was yeah. stressing. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Interesting. So you took a big leap starting your own company. Do you think, do you think in some way that the idea that you had no alternative was in a, in a weird way, a positive motivation for you? Cause you had no choice, but to succeed. Like do you, was that, that ever crossed your mind? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think, um, I think I was completely committed to trying it for as long as we can and just seeing if I could, you know, stay afloat. Um, cause financially it was just, I mean, 
it was, it was, it was really rough, but, um, and that, that, that comes into the home life and into your day to day, but it was strange. Even those first couple of years where we made no money, um, where I was just adding one client at a time. Um, I still loved it. I still liked what I do. I still love talking to business owners. I love the opportunity. I like, I like to win. Um, when I, when there's an opportunity to compete for their business and I hate to lose. So all that stuff was, um, all that was great from the beginning. Um, I remember in the first, you know, the first few months, the first year going to work probably 40 hours a week for an entire month and coming home at the end of the month. And I was able to tell my wife, actually, we, we did not make any money this month. And I, and what that meant was literally <laughs> no revenue came in the door in this month, but I worked 40 hours a week for four weeks and it not, not profit revenue, nothing, right. nothing. The register didn't get dinged in an entire month. And that can happen. Probably shouldn't happen. If you're, if you can, if you do home and auto and personal lines, it probably shouldn't happen. Honestly, if you did business, but it did happen. I remember early on one month that happened and it was, um, yeah, yeah, for, for the listeners, the way you get paid in the insurance business, you don't, uh, you know, you you sell a work comp policy to Bob's Construction. That insurance company may not pay you that commission for ninety days. So, I mean, wow. even if even if you wrote a million dollar policy on uh, July first, you know, you may not get that until September. Um, yeah, and it might, it cash, might be monthly. So. It might be monthly, and and only show up after a, a month or two, and you may only get the first month or two at that point too. So yeah, the, yeah, the way the way the companies there's a couple different ways companies pay you, and uh, if if you don't, you know, when you're starting out and you you like you said you're writing an account trying to write one account a day, um, you can have the most successful month that pays off three months later. <laughs> you yeah, know, so no, to be. <laughs> Super stressful from a cash flow perspective. Yeah. Now, are these um, when you get paid from the insurance company? Is this a one-time payment or is this a recurring revenue once you sell these policies? Yeah, it's recurring. So, okay. um, yeah, they're you know each year the policy renews whatever the premium is. You, typically, a percentage of it is commission, and um, each as long as they renew each year. Um, and if you're okay. an independent broker, that you can even move them to different insurance companies. But as long as you keep the client as your client. Uh, the revenue should be the same each year to the agency, not necessarily the agent if you're, um, you know, but the gross revenue to the agency should be the same. Well, then I, my next question is, I mean, <laughs> that's incredible that you survived. How did you do it? How did you manage not taking in any revenue? I mean, that, that's. Yeah, as, as I look he, back. I he like, doesn't know. <laughs> <laughs> as I look back, I, I, in fact, I've given people multiple times. I've told people not to do it. I've told them, um, you know, it worked for me. It's fine, but there are just, there are less risky ways to do it. It's too risky. Our, my marriage survived and we survived financially, but it's, it's incredibly risky. And I've told people there are better ways. And, and part of that gets back to, to the non-competes and, and how they can lock people up. But um, yeah, how we did it. Uh, we had like, you know, no personal debt when, when we left, um, had no, had a mortgage, right? And then maybe a car payment at the time. I don't remember. But I went and um, just checked the credit cards we had and looked at the balances to see how much we could rack up there. And I sort of had no expenses. 
you know, to, to your point about technology and starting a business, you can start an insurance agency and a lot of other businesses today with very little capital and overhead, right? You, right. It's that, that part's pretty easy. You can, you can do a lot of it through technology. It's made it much easier, which, which that part I think is great. But um, so low expenses and um, quickly I moved over my licenses and talked to some insurance companies and went off and running and um, just doing the same thing I did, but without having clients behind me that are paying me every month um, to start a new agency. So it was tough. Those first, my non-compete was three years and, um, that's probably longer than Nevada law would really allow. And, and than most States would allow, but, um, that's those three years where it, it was really tough in the middle of that. I did buy a little insurance agency. I got completely lucky and found this guy, Hap Ritchie. Um, he was an older gentleman. He actually played professional baseball for a while. Just this really interesting guy I ended up talking to him and, uh, he really took a liking to me and I to him and he was ready to retire. And I bought a small, tiny agent, tiny book of business from him, but it was a lifesaver. And I told them that many times. So I, they let me pay him over five years and it was just enough to like pay the mortgage and, um, put a little food on the table. And it probably, it probably saved us. It's probably, and I, that was sometime in 2012, probably the only reason I truly did make it through is because I had just enough there to pay some bills um, while I get everything built up. And at the end of my non-compete, I had quite a few clients came back to me. As soon as my three years was up, I will admit to the day, <laughs> I waited one full day. And then I reached out to those clients and said, you know, as I told you, uh, I couldn't solicit your business and I really can't accept your business according to my agreement. But uh, that's over. And I'd love to, to get your business back. And I had quite a few of them come over and finally started making a living again. That was three long years for sure. I remember that day. Wow. Yeah. I remember you calling yeah. me at, at uh, the office I was at at the time. I think you even came by and you're like, guess yeah. what tomorrow is. Tomorrow's <laughs> the day. Here's the list. Yeah. <laughs> I remember yeah. that day. So yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So how long, so that was about three years, right? That you struggled yeah. You fought yeah. through the, the non-compete. Uh, you bought you bought that small landscaping deal, started to make mm -hmm. a little money. And so now you're seven more years, right? After that. Yeah. I just, yeah. I mean, I just saw you on um uh I just saw you and your family on Instagram. They his family, I I won't they, they just went on a really nice end of summer kind of trip. And I just remember I, I literally was looking at the pictures and I went. Man, I remember a time that this guy like was just grinding and looking at me going, dude, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, I, you know, one of those things. And I was just I actually thought about that watching your last trip where you guys were all at the beach and you, you didn't you look like you didn't have a worry in the world. And normally when your pictures come up for family trips, I can see your face and your face is going Oh, I just had to buy dinner. I just, my kids are so expensive. <laughs> and work, always working. Yeah. You look yeah. like you were enjoying yourself and actually, and just, you know, you were like, you know what? I don't care. We're going to go have a good time and, and not worry about yeah. it. So I was happy to see that. But so seven more years, you're, you know, you've, you've grown, you've, now you're, you're thriving. Um, talk a little bit about, you know, you, your business, and this gets back into the core competencies, um, you don't bounce around. So there's a lot of commercial agents out there that, and I'm one of them when I was a commercial agent. I mean, I had specialties, but I'd sell a policy to anybody that mm -hmm. that I could get done. 
which is fine, but you do a real good job of kind of focusing in on your core competencies, the, the understanding of the coverages necessary for, for construction and for attorney firms. Um, and, and you kind of specialize in that. Can you talk, talk about how, why you do that and why you think that's a good idea? Yeah. I mean, the, the, when I started as an intern and they said I could start kind of when I was licensed, I could start sort of soliciting or still in Utah could solicit some business. So I created some mailers for um, law firms and we're we're sending them out uh, to Las Vegas and trying to get that going. So it's always been a niche of mine that I've been interested in and chased. And then contractors is just um, such a huge part of our economy here. And they have, you know, they, they pay so much in insurance that, um, it's, can be, it, it can be well worth your time as an insurance agent to chase it. But I've always kind of had those, those niches and specifically with the lawyers. Um, but now it's a real trend. Everybody in, in, everybody in the insurance business is saying, you've got you've got a niche. You've got to find a niche. You've got to explore your niche. There are all these business reasons to do it. And I've, I've, I've always sort of agreed. I, I think that's a, a great way to go because, um, you know, in, the, the real answer is because I can do a better job for that law firm than a generalist insurance agent, right? There's been many situations in my career where um, if you just looked at the insurance process as a way to get coverage based on a price and a limit, and you're running a law firm, um, if you didn't have someone there who knows the business, who knows the coverage, and who is experienced in that, in that specific coverage, um, it would have cost these clients and it has cost um, some prospects that I later met, but yeah, you really, you really do have to niche and there is a real benefit to it. It's sort of like choosing a lawyer, which is the easy analogy to make when I talk to lawyers is it's like uh, if you use a generalist to place your lawyer's professional liability, it's sort of like going to an estate planning attorney to do your divorce, right? It's, you really want someone who does this day in and day out because you don't expect it to ever be a problem but if you really want to be assured that it's done right and that you're getting the best advice, you've got to go to someone who's an expert, right? But a lot of times uh, business owners don't think of insurance agents as being an expert in a specific industry. I used to think that was the funniest thing when we were, you know, it, having an uncovered claim can be the most costly thing for some of these businesses, especially professional, you know, doctors, attorneys, things of that nature. But I always thought it was funny. They'll go hire the most expensive attorney, most expert attorney. They had the top of the line CPA. Um, they had, you know, the private banker that was constantly, you know, providing service. But then when they buy their insurance, they treat it like a furniture guy. It's like, who's the cheapest, you know, <laughs> and it's like, wait, you know, it, it is more in depth than, than just yeah. who's the cheapest, you know, right. we're not car salesmen, but we get treated like them sometimes. No, nothing against car salesmen, but yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh, it, it's, it's a personality thing and how they run, how someone would run their business because it's not, you know, there are, there are lawyers who have law firms who see it as a commodity and an afterthought. And there are many lawyers that don't. And there are some contractors who see it as a commodity and an afterthought and many that don't. So it's really more how you address your business and saying, you know, when you're choosing someone to advise you, which really that's what you, that's what we do. We give them advice on buying insurance. We tell them what coverage to buy. We try to help them save money we try to protect their business, we're advising them. You're looking for advice on a, an important part of your business, but it's, it is difficult to not get distracted by the price. And so we understand that we just have to help coach them through that. But you want someone who's an expert in your business, who knows 
what sort of risk your business faces, what sort of coverage they should have, um, and where there are opportunities to improve coverage or lower the cost. So now, as an uh, as an insurance firm that handles um, attorney malpractice in the state of Nevada, are you number one or number two in written premium? You're like number two, right? Yeah, I mean, there's it's it's a lot has changed, um, but I, I feel like we probably insure more lawyers than anyone else in Nevada. Um, but you know, you you there's just you've got a direct you've got direct writers in here who are not an agency. They're they're especially up north. Um, in, in the Reno area. And um, there are some other agencies here. And then some of the bigger law firms have kind of been absorbed. Um, a couple have gone out of business and a couple have been absorbed into bigger firms. So there's been all sorts of shifting going on. So it's kind of tough to tell. But um, yeah, I think we ensure at least a number of attorneys more than any other broker, um, if I can draw that distinction. Yeah, yeah. no, that's awesome. So if you're an attorney out there listening, you need, uh, and, and Marcus is licensed in more states than yeah. Nevada. So if you're out there listening, you need some help with your coverage, make sure you, you get a hold of them. At, at, we'll put all yeah. this information, you know, out there, but. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. That's a quick question. This is kind of off topic a little bit, but for an attorney and you're talking about malpractice insurance for an attorney, what would constitute malpractice? I mean, I kind of have a general idea, but can you give me an example of yeah. how someone would file a claim against an attorney and when, what would, you know, what would you pay out on? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, malpractice, especially in everyone's mind, it naturally triggers medical malpractice. That's the easiest thing to see, right? A doctor left a sponge in the patient's right. belly during surgery. That sort of thing's pretty easy to see and, and maybe failing to diagnose something that you should have. So, um, yeah, malpractice um, really is errors and omissions. So anytime they make an error that damages the client or they omit something, they completely forget or fail to do something. And uh, we, we insure a lot of plaintiff's firms, personal injury law firms. And the, what, what drives a lot of that is the statute of limitations, right? So when someone comes in and talks to you and says they were in an accident, if you're the attorney, um, the accident happened today, there's only so much time you have before you file a suit, for example. And the attorneys might, and sometimes people shift from attorney to attorney, and maybe they didn't you know, have a great system to put in this date, and this right. date comes and goes. Now you, what you had was a, an auto accident where you were injured, and it was you know, your, your medical bills, your car repaired, and all, the, all that money that was potentially yours from the insurance company on the auto, now that's gone. You have no claim against them. And the reason why is your attorney made an error or omission. And so you now have a claim against the attorney. Mm, okay. So that's a pretty common one. But, you know, giving, giving uh, wrong legal advice in general, um, completely forgetting things, not misapplying the law. So, you know, anything you do when you take on the client as a professional and you're negligent in it, um, and it's not intentional, um, they can make a claim on those. And yeah, there, there are big claims, you know, they, they, big claims happen, claims happen routinely, uh, against law firms of all, t all types, all different areas of practice. And they, they have insurance, they have insurance like any other business. And some of them buy pretty high limits and some of them, you know, they're, they're very large claims, you know, th where they somehow screwed up real estate deals that are worth, that were potentially worth millions of dollars, and they're left holding the bag or their insurance company is. That's interesting. So I'm glad you explained that. Cause I mean, in my mind, when you say malpractice, it 
it kind of makes me think of someone doing something intentionally wrong, but. Oh, right. I mean, oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, the way you explain it, it, it don't, I mean, it could be just an omission. I mean, something that was maybe unintentional could be considered malpractice. That's yeah. interesting. Has oh, to intentional. Be like that. It has, it has to, to be, be unintentional. Yeah. Yeah. Intentional yeah. acts are excluded by insurance. So even a doctor yeah. that intentionally harms somebody, it's going to be excluded from your, from your insurance. So if the insurance company's attorneys can approve that, whatever business uh, intentionally caused the damage or the neglect or the, the claim uh, that gets excluded anyway. So it has to be what we'll call an accident. Yeah. Yeah. There can be coverage if, you know, for example, you're at a law firm and you have an attorney who, who may do something intentional. There can be some coverage for uh, the rest of the partners in the firm um, for, for this person going sort of rogue, but yeah, in general, if it's intentional, it's not covered. It's not meant to cover that. Yeah, like uh, you hear a lot of attorneys, not a lot. I shouldn't say it. That's a wrong term. You hear of attorneys that um, had a big uh, settlement, but they never gave the money to the client, you know, kind oh, of thing. Right. Or they co-mingled the funds like that. That's like not Evanati. covered, right? Yeah. yeah, not covered. <laughs> not covered, right? Because that's intentional. Right, not covered. Yeah. 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 You know, You know what another interesting fact, Brian, and Marcus, correct me if I'm wrong, but... It's interesting how attorneys have attorneys don't like to sue each other. They don't like to give each other bad names. And it's one of the few industries that don't require malpractice insurance to conduct business. There's a lot of states where the attorneys don't even buy it because they won't sue each other. They won't. You can't get the case to go. And so like, but like a doctor, you can't be a doctor without malpractice insurance, right? CPA, you can't be a CPA without malpractice insurance agent. You can't be an insurance agent without malpractice, but the attorneys all have this kind of like handshake. Now, most of them buy it. Most of a, a quality attorney will have it, but, but it's, it's kind of funny. There are States where like, it's not common practice for attorneys to buy it. Yeah. They, I, I would say like in general, they have it um, and, and most of the time they, they will in most states, but it is not generally required. Um, it's not required in Nevada. It's not required in California. There was a push recently in both states to make a requirement, um, but they, they both landed on uh, or the far, the closest they got is to say, if you don't have it, you've got to disclose to your clients that you don't have it. But um, no, I, I think there are, if, if people have a claim, um, if their attorney screws up, they, they can, there, there was like over time there, there back in the day, there, there was a little bit less attorneys were a little more reluctant to sue each other, sue another attorney they knew in town. I feel like that's kind of gone away. If they, if there's a valid claim and they have insurance um, you, there's, there are attorneys who will take that up and they're happy to collect from their insurance company for, it's like, their, for their clients. It's like the guys at the craps table that are, are betting against the, the table, you know, that dude that's sitting down at the end and, and betting against the table you know, that's yeah. the attorney that's trying to sue all the other attorneys. Yeah, there was a guy in town who used to have a billboards that said, like, sue your attorney with a question mark. Sure can. And it was called, like, call me. And I thought it doesn't happen that often. I mean, it happens, but I couldn't imagine like a billboard was so he didn't have it for very long, obviously. But I couldn't imagine a billboard was leading to a lot of business. But he was just saying, just so you know, you can definitely sue your attorney. Call me. <laughs> I love it. So what, uh, what have you done to grow or, you know, to maintain your growth, maintain your, uh, success and, and, you know, this period of, of thriving, you know, what have you done? 
Yeah, um, you know, we've grown and um, we, we've grown in the last year, we've grown in the last two years um, and th- we have some really interesting things up on the horizon. I feel like I've been, um, you know, like I haven't been committed to growing my business uh, up until the last couple of years. Again, I've just been um, sort of moving forward, but I'm not having really specific and ambitious goals. And I I want that to change. And so we've got some big things coming um, in terms of driving the business forward, but yeah, we've had a lot of growth and it's gone really well. And it just is driven by a culture of, having fun, having a, a great place to work, um, you know, having flexibility between it for your work-life balance, where you work and when you work. That's a, we, We've had that since before COVID. Now, part of that is natural and easy when you start the way we started. But, um, you know, and then the opportunity of being an insurance broker, it's a, it's, there's a great career out there um, for people looking to, um, you know, or earn an income that's only defined by their success and to have a lot of freedom in doing it. And it draws a lot of people into the business. So yeah, I think things have been really great. The last couple of years we've grown in during COVID we've added clients um, and um, looking forward. I, we've, we've got a couple of big things going. I, I think they're going to lead to us doing what we do in a bigger way in more States and basically being open for business throughout the nation for lawyers, not practice and contractors, and uh, maybe even a, a few other surprises up our sleeve. That's awesome. That's very cool. Were, was, uh, how did, did business change at all for you with, um, with COVID? Was that, were you affected at all by that? Yeah. Um, I was really worried about it. You know, if you're, be, we talk about niching, right? If your niche happened to have been bars and restaurants, which I know someone that that was their niche as an insurance broker was to insure bars and restaurants, it was devastating. And remember how, how uncertain things felt um, early on in the pandemic. I didn't know if my lands, if my contractors and landscapers were going to survive or how bad things were going to get. Um, and, or, and my law firms, frankly, either we, so you know, all of your, your risk and business is spread amongst all of your clients' businesses. That's what's right. kind of interesting about it. So um, that might be an argument for a reason to diversify a little bit, but um, rather than niche down, but yeah, I was worried about it. I was anxious about things changing. Um, you know, we basically quit seeing clients in person, which is a relationship business. Um, that's, that's where we, that's something we have to do. We, we always have done that. So but it was pretty quickly, we were able to transition. We used technology quite a bit, you know, electronic signatures. We had already used Zoom. We used video proposals. So we did a lot to keep our face in front of our clients, even when we couldn't see them. And um, we pursued new clients during that entire time too. So um, as it went by month to month, things remained stable and we continued to add clients. And, you know, while, while I was nervous, um, about what it was going to do to the economy or our business or my clients' businesses, you know, which I really do care for my clients' businesses, not just because I earn as long as they're in business and paying their premium, it pays the bills, but also because I know these people and I like them. So we're really nervous, but looking back, um, you know, we grew, we grew a little bit each of the last two years, like I said, and um, we were able to adapt and work from home and do everything we needed to do. Um, and we were, pretty agile that way so it it was uh luckily everything went better than expected that's awesome i'm glad to hear that that's very cool well marcus we ask everybody uh the same question um 
if you could give one uh, a listener a piece of advice about starting their own business or making a change in their life, what would that be? Yeah, I think just sort of based, well, I do sort of give this advice, but, you know, based on our conversation, a couple of things is if you're unhappy where you are um, and and you feel like, um, you know, the root cause of it or, or you're certain that something is causing it, you know, it's hard to see from your, from your own perspective, sometimes what's making you unhappy. And I wish I would have listened a little bit more to people who I trusted to, to my mentors, my wife, people around me to, to kind of, and I did, I did, but, but I wish that I would have done that more. And so I would say, ask, ask people who you respect, ask people who can see you, who know intimately what you're doing, why you're doing it, how you're doing it but they aren't you. They're just a step away and listen to that advice. I, I, I should have taken some more advice and, and I should have asked for advice more often. Um, and you know, as far as, as far as business, there's a lot of opportunity out there if you're willing to work and put in the time, um, but explore it and, and try to have a plan and try to know the risks and try to avoid them, you know, do everything you can that you want to do, but taking a lot of risk. I came out of it pretty, um, I came out of pretty unscathed, but like I said, I look back and I tell people it was, it was too big of a risk. And again, another chance to talk to people around you, get advice, get a mentor and have them um, guide you along the way. Cause there's a lot of people happy to do it. I do it now. I've always been willing to do it. And I like to do that to, to help people see things from a different perspective. Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah. Hey, Marcus, tell everybody where they can find you on um, social media, your website, yeah. Yeah. I would say just, you know, go to the website, guardianbrokers.net, G-U-A-R-D-I-A-N brokers.net. And uh, you can find me on um, LinkedIn, Instagram. It's Marcus Cusick. Easy, easy enough to find LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook. So yeah, find me wherever you can find me. And um, yeah, thanks guys. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, of course. And we'll, um, we'll link all that stuff in our socials. So if anyone is uh, unable to get that, go to our website, nothingo.com or uh, social media. And you can uh, find Marcus. Um, you can find the links to him and his company. So, um, with that being said, I think it's a good place to end. I know we've uh, probably gone a little over time, but I hope that's okay. But in any case, it was a real pleasure talking to you. It was a real pleasure meeting you. Um, I love hearing your story, and I think uh, I think really it's going to inspire a lot of people to uh, just kind of make the changes that they they need to make. So, thanks again for your time. It was a real pleasure, and I hope to, uh, to talk to you soon. So, for um, for Ben, this is Brian signing off for the uh, Nothing Note Podcast. We'll talk to you soon, everybody. Bye.